Welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Podcast. We're a real community of people who are passionate about pursuing God and growing in our relationship with Him. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit northridge.org.au. We have, we've been having a lot of fun. Who's, who's back kind of from holidays for the first time this year? Welcome back. We've been having a lot of fun over the last few weeks um, that you've sadly missed out. We've been having uh, some stories from different members of our, of our community, really around how it is that they came to be invited to meet Jesus, invited often into church or into relationship with, a, with Christians in some way, but ultimately to, to meet Jesus. And that's been... It's just been so sweet and precious to hear that. Um, those talks are now up on, on the website, on, um, on our podcast. So if you've missed any of those, please do go and, do go and have a listen. Um, you know, I think one of the things that those stories have re- reminded us of is that we all have an invitation that we are called to bring. We all can tell a story at some point where... Someone has said, come. Either come to church or, or come and, and let me just tell you a little bit about my experience of, of Jesus. And, and because that's all part of our story, and you, you may not say that you've become a Christian yet here this morning, but you, you are here. And even that, just that initial invitation or even that stepping out and just wondering is, is part of all of our stories and because it's a part of our story, it's something that we can bring. You can only bring what you have. And that's something we all have. And, you know, I, I just felt, I guess, really challenged by that. Um, it's been wonderful to hear those people's stories. For me, it looked really simple. I think um, it's sometimes difficult for me to uh, have a lot of interaction with folk who aren't in church it's a challenge. A lot of my, all my colleagues and a lot of my interaction through the week are with church, church life um, and, and with Christian family. And, and so it, it doesn't happen an awful lot. But every now and again, because we have four children, we have uh, deliveries of groceries and you know, shopping and everyone, most people know that these days, that experience. So we, and if you've been to our house, we have a long, steep set of steps going from the road down to our house. So I'm always like very appreciative of this poor guy, usually um, in the middle of the day, sweating hot, bringing down our groceries to our front door. And that happened this week or the week before. And, you know, just as it's a, it's a silly, simple thing, but I just felt the Lord saying, you need to offer him a glass of water. And um, this guy was, I assume, a Sikh. He had a turban, um, and he looked like he was in a hurry, and he's sweating away, and I thought, that turban can't help. And he's, you know, he's really warm, and I just thought, this poor guy, like, I'm just going to offer you a glass of water. And he, he said yes, and he came in, he just, he came into a home, and he just had a glass of water, and we just chatted for a bit, and then off he went again. And... I didn't lead him to the Lord. I didn't tell him that God loved him. I didn't do any of that stuff. I just felt to give him a glass of water. It's just the prompting there to go, 
there's something more I can do here. There's an invitation, there's a come, there's, there's something, that wasn't even an invitation really, it was just a gesture of kindness. But, you know, for all of us, there is, the, the Lord is, is always prompting, always nudging for us to just step into how do we interact with folk? How do we bring the kindness, the love, the news of Jesus to them? I know for, I've actually heard uh, through others that there have been some stories of people just bringing those invitations, uh, of being challenged, I guess, in the same way over the last few weeks to bring stories of, to, to actually try to invite people, whether it be to church or, or to share about Jesus. And I, and I wanted to give us an opportunity to hear some of those stories this morning. So if you've, if you've had, a, if you have a story of, of invitation that you would like to share, I want to give us just the opportunity now to hear those. Um, you may have offered to pray for someone. You may have just told them about what you did on Sunday coming to church. It, it might be something really simple. I'm going to, I, by sharing that story around the glass of water, I want to set the bar really low. All right, so it's super easy. It, can, you know, it doesn't have to be... Uh, really profoundly spiritual. And in fact, I'd love to encourage you, if, you have, if you've had, a, I guess, a, an opportunity to ask someone and they've said no, we'd love to hear that too. Because it's so important that we realize that actually God doesn't, he's not interested in our success. He's interested in our risking our rejection. He actually wants us to risk that rejection because that's what he does. And so that's, that's what we're about. We want to step into the risk together. So now I've given you plenty of time to think about whether you're going to share a story. Where's that microphone? Does anyone have a story they'd like to share with us? Now I'm, I, just, can I just say, I'm really fine with awkward silence this morning. Yeah, she's not, but... <laughs> No, that's fantastic, Susan. Thank you. This is a low story, like down here. <laughs> um, so over the years, like with my kids in the holidays, when we've gone to the beach or just out, and there's the ice cream moment, and because I had little Maddie, who's now big now, but if it was just the two boys and myself and a four-pack of ice cream, we always had one left over. And we called it the bless you ice cream. And so <laughs> we'd walk around and just sort of... You know, I'd ask the kids or myself, we'd just say, maybe that person would really like an ice cream. And there's one guy, actually, twice in Manly, he sold issues, the big issue, and we gave, yeah, it was just lovely. I think the second time he, rem he remembered us and just went, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And even the other day we did it, um, we were coming out of Aldi in Mount Curingai, and this guy, you know, pulling the trolleys, and he was exhausted. He was hot and sweaty like a water guy. Mm -hmm. And we gave him an ice cream and he was just like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so it's just the simple things, you know, a smile and eye contact. And especially if you've got little people with you, just setting that example. So we just love it. Thanks, Suze. That's great. Anyone else have a story? Wonderful. Anyone else have a story? Um, I have a friend at school and um, she had four children, has four children the same age as my children. 
Um, at, but her home life was challenging. Um, the guy that she was living with was hard work and um, not through her choice and a whole lot of other things. Anyway, so she said, I reckon if he didn't have to go to that job every day, he would be a nicer guy if he had a different job to go to. And so I said, can, can I pray that like he gets another job? And because um, I thought, you know, there's nothing to lose. And um, she said, yeah, okay. And, you know, we had no expectation that anything would happen. But when that guy was offered another job and he went to a new employer and he came home a different person each day, I felt like that was God's opportunity to show her that even though she'd had a bad experience at the church as a child, that she could see that God still was watching her and loved her. Fantastic. Can I say I love that? We've got nothing to lose. Did you notice that? So true. Any other stories? Sure. I retired for the second time in 2014. And I said to the Lord, what would you like me to do? Um, I'm a type 2 diabetic, so looking after your feet is important. And I see a pathologist, a podiatrist <coughs> up in Balmoral Street. I was there for an appointment and, uh, this morning and they, the phone rang. And it was a guy, a blind guy, who lived in College Crescent, opposite Barker. And uh, he was from Queensland, didn't know Sydney, and he had to get to Balmoral Street for an appointment. So I said, I will pick him up. And uh, so we, this went on for a few, quite a few months. And it turned out he and his wife were both blind. She had the guide dog, and she was the one that worked. Um, so it sort of developed, a friend, this friendship developed and we'd see the podiatrist, then we'd go and have a coffee in Westfield and I'd drop him home. Went on for about three months. He said to me one morning, we're going back to Queensland. So I said, Lord, what's next? <laughs> Thank you. That's good. Are you being dobbed in or did you put your I didn't want up? to be. <laughs> um, I'd, love have, I'd love to have words of knowledge, you know, and so sometimes I sit there and wait and wait and nothing seems to come. I was in a coffee shop the other day and I thought, oh, Lord, would you please give me a word of knowledge? And I looked around at the people. There was a couple of ladies there. And um, anyway, in came this big lady and she sat down and she kind of was weary. And I thought, oh, is that her? So I was there for about five minutes thinking, oh Lord, give me courage. I was so scared. And she had her back to me. She was sitting at another table. And so I thought, right, when I go out, I'll, I'll take the courage and I'll speak to her. So I went and I turned around. By this time, she was eating her breakfast. And I said, um, I know you'll think I'm crazy, but could I sit down for a moment? And she kind of looked at me and I said, um, do you have a bad back? She said, no. And um, she said, I just want to get on with my breakfast. And that was it. But I wasn't disappointed. I thought, yeah. okay, next time. Good on you. That's fantastic. I'm, if you had more stories to share, can I ask you to save it up? We'll do that again at some point. I just um, I want to stop there because...
You know, what Anne shared, there's is so much the reality, isn't it, of what we're called to. But again, we're called not so that we would get it right every time. That's not the goal, is to get so good at giving prophetic words that we never get it wrong. We'll get so good at sharing our story that people always come to the Lord. We want people to come to the Lord, but that's His job. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to lead people to Christ. Our job is to make ourselves available and to risk it. And um, this morning, I, I want us to look at a beautiful story of invitation as we think about how it is that Jesus does this. Because Jesus is the one who is inviting everyone to him. It doesn't rest on us. It rests on him and his spirit. And, and I'd love us to kind of get that front and center of our minds as we explore this, this year, particularly we feel like we want to explore this idea of how do we risk together? How do we step into this place of invitation? So um, we're going to look at Luke 19, if you'd like to open up your Bible with me. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, we've got some Bibles on the table there under the cross. Feel free to get up and go and pick up one if you'd like. <clears throat> but uh, we're going to look at a story of a man you may, if you were in Sunday school, you probably heard about him, a man called Zacchaeus. <clears throat> and uh, if you don't, let me give you a little bit of backstory to this story. <clears throat> it's a brief, it's quite a quick story, but there's a lot packed into it. So we're just going to spend a bit of time looking at that today. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to grab some water, thank you. Um, Zacchaeus is, I think, is a fascinating guy. Firstly, firstly he's vertically challenged. He's uh, He's a short man, and that's the, what we often remember him for, is being short. But one of the things that we often miss is that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. And um, just in the, in the previous chapters, Jesus, thank you so much, Jesus has been talking about tax collectors. And so when we open up at this point, there's a fair bit of background about tax collectors that we've already picked up if we've been reading along, which, of course, we haven't today. So let me just very quickly say, what is a chief tax collector? Because sometimes we read this and we go, oh, it's like an accountant or a lawyer or, oh, that's interesting. And that's no slur on accountants or lawyers. But um, there's a lot more to it. Because back in those days, Jews had quite a lot of different taxes to pay. They had the temple tax that God required of them, and that was very much dependent on how much they earned and what they had, but it, and it was an offering to God. And that was, as part of a Jew, Jewish person, that was their sort of core responsibility. And then they had, they'd had kings previously who required taxes of them, Jewish Israel kings. But since they've been conquered, of course, the Romans required taxes of them. And the Roman tax that they had to pay at this time was about 1% of your income, which doesn't sound an awful lot, except then there were those additional taxes. So they had taxes on customs, on import and export, they had toll bridges and crops taxes, they had sales and property and just other special taxes. So it all sort of piled up. And all of those taxes went to this ruling power far away 
in Rome. Now, one of the things that the Romans did is that they decided to make sure the taxes across the empire were, were run by Romans, usually rich Romans. But they, of course, decided that they didn't want to travel all around the empire to collect taxes, so they hired local men to go and collect the taxes for them. So um, they would go to Judea, which was a province, the province of Syria, um, which is where this story is set, and, and they would hire local men. Now those local men, if they were smart, like Zacchaeus, would also go and hire other local men to do a bigger area. And all of these kind of delegations, if you like, increase the taxes. Because as soon as you hire one, you go, well, how are you going to pay that person? Well, you just say to them, well, when you get the tax, you just add on a little bit, and that can be your income. And so then someone else would go to another person and say, well, when you collect the tax, you add on another little bit, and that can be your income. And before long, there was margin upon margin upon margin. And so Zacchaeus, as a chief tax collector, was not only getting somebody to do it for him, he was getting his own cup. So there's this, all this margin, all this extra skimming off the top that's going on. For a ruler, for a ruling country that is clearly against God's plan in the Jewish mindset. All right? So to say that he was despised is an understatement. He was, he was the scum of the earth as far as it, the Jews in this story are concerned. And so when we pick up the story, we, we come across Jesus who is passing through Jericho, okay? He's passing through, and Zacchaeus has climbed a tree to try and see him. So the crowds are lining the streets, and Zacchaeus, being vertically challenged, obviously needs to get higher to be able to see Jesus. Jesus calls him by name, he stops in the road, even though he's passing through, and he says, Zacchaeus. And maybe he'd heard of him, but we don't know. All we know is Jesus calls his name and says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must come to your house. I must stay at your house today. So it's, it's full of imperatives. All right, Jesus is saying, come down, I must stay at your house today. And I love that because Jesus is passing through and he's veered off the road and he gets a, a, a very imperative sense of what must happen. And so Zacchaeus, we assume, comes down from the tree and all we hear is that the crowd begin to grumble that Jesus is eating with a sinner is going to be the guest of a sinner. And they, they, have, they just like, almost seem to have a right in their own minds that they would be cross about this. I think we read that and we go, what's it got to do with them? And yet they have a sense almost of ownership about this Jesus that's passing through. And, and I think it's got to do with what they think he's come to do. He's not just some random celebrity they think he's come to be the new king. And as the crowd, the crowd is a very important role in bringing up the new leader. You know, all of, they had a strong sense of their identity in this. 
We're here not just to cheer on, but to lift him up and say, ride on our approval into Jerusalem. Go and be the new king. Save us from the, Jew, from the Jews, from the Romans, right? That's, and they, so they have this sense of, hold on a second. What are you doing, Jesus? This isn't the right thing to do. You're going off the road. What are you doing? You're going for dinner at this guy's house. Don't you know who he is? This is not part of the plan. And they begin to grumble about what he's doing, which I just think is hilarious. Um, Jesus is not listening to them. And, and the very next sentence, we see Zacchaeus. We don't quite know what's happened. Has he gone to the house? Have they sat and had a meal? If you learned this story in Sunday school, you probably have in your head that he's standing at a table making a toast and there's lots of guests and there's a banquet. And that may have happened, but we don't know. It doesn't say that. All we hear is that Zacchaeus has a 180 degree repentance response. He stands up and he says, look, Lord, or behold, see, Lord, right here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, which I think you have, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, we're not meant to get caught up in the numbers here. We're meant to see the heart response. Because Jesus then goes on to use Zacchaeus' response to teach others about salvation and that this salvation is for everyone. My guess is that the Pharisees were probably present here. The reason I guess that is because he says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. He uses this phrase, a son of Abraham, that we'll look at a bit later. But it gives, gives me the impression everyone's watching. This is very public. So as we reflect on this story, I, I guess it's just one core theme that came to my mind and, and I just sense the Lord saying, and that is this invitation saved Zacchaeus' life and Jesus was just passing through. But that invitation, I must come to your house today, Jesus invites himself, which I think is beautiful. He, he, he takes it out of Zacchaeus' hands but he sees that Zacchaeus is seeking him. And that invitation saves Zacchaeus' life. So often when God calls us to bring an invitation, we are just passing through. So often. We don't get up in the morning and we go, okay, Lord, who do you want me to talk to today? Now, I know some of us do, which is beautiful, but I don't know about you, when I've done that, I'm often, it's blank, <laughs> sort of silence. Now that's, that's not because God isn't faithful, but, but God loves turning us off the path. He has a way of going, you're, you're just passing through, hey? <laughs> no. Let me look over here. Notice that person. Did you just hear what they said in that conversation? That's often how the Spirit nudges us. And, you know, our, our call is to take the time, as Jesus did, to stop 
and to be diverted on our path. I think that's a challenge for us. Do you know, I think, I hear and I think, and I know this to be true, that a lot of people are bored with their Christian faith. I don't get that sense from this from us here, from this community, but as we pray and consider the state of the church and Christians around the world, especially in Western countries, one of the great travesties is to hear how many people are just bored of their Christian faith. And can I say it's particularly guys? If If you're bored by your Christian faith, I think the challenge is to stop and to try to talk to that person in the street that you get that nudge, is to actually step into that place of risk. And you will quickly find that the nature of your faith shifts. It becomes far more interesting when we're in a place of uncomfortableness. It's no longer boring. Let me say again, you don't have to lead people to Christ. That's the Spirit's job. But our, he, he may even just use you to get their attention and then do the next part. Our call is to, just through an act of kindness or just by seeing people or just sharing a story, to, you, to be used by the Spirit. I guess the other reflection I had on this is that, you know, Jesus comes with an invitation um, in fact, in this case, like we said before, he invites himself. But the invitation is more than just, I'm going to be your guest today. When Jesus visits Zacchaeus' house, when he sits with him, he's doing more than just being Zacchaeus' guest. He is, uh, he is giving him value. He is saying, I'm going to identify with you by eating with you. In that culture, to eat with someone was to identify with them, was to approve of them even. Which is why when we you know, jump through to Acts, we see Peter being very nervous about going to the house of a Gentile and needing the Holy Spirit to say, no, you go. And yet, this is a tax collector, a chief tax collector, and Jesus is coming and saying, I'm going to eat with you. So Jesus identifies with him, he shows him value, and he meets with Zacchaeus. And the invitation that Jesus has for everyone is that same invitation. He wants to meet with us. He wants to identify with us. He wants to show us his approval of us. No matter where we are, no matter if we're stuck in the thing, the thing that's bound us up, no matter what destructive lifestyle that we're living, that was Zacchaeus, totally bound up in money and greed. And Jesus doesn't say, hmm, sort yourself out, then I'll come to your house. He comes to him. And you know, we find that almost slightly offensive. Like, Jesus, Really? You know, one conversation with Jesus can change the entire direction of your life. When we, um, when we were younger, before we had kids, um, Bonnie and I came out to Australia and, uh, and we spent some time with family. 
And while we were out here, I just, I was just passing through a conversation and I just felt the Lord say, you need to be here. And I didn't quite know what that meant. I didn't know how that would happen. And I, you know, over the following months, I shared that with Bonnie and we just started to explore that. And our life changed dramatically. The whole direction of our life changed. And, and, it, and it didn't just change on a whim, but one conversation, one, even just one word from the Lord can shift a whole life. And having that in our hearts, many of you go, yeah, that's my story. But, but can I say, that's often all that someone needs is one conversation with Jesus. And their whole life changes. You see, this encounter for Zacchaeus was a life-saving encounter. And I think this is important. Because we might, we might look at Zacchaeus and go, oh, that not that nice? Jesus came to his house. The poor guy, he was ostracized and he was, you know, marginalized by the crowd and he's feeling better. That's great. But this encounter is life-saving for a man who was bound up, completely lost in his love of money. You know, the Bible is quite clear. It's one of the few things that it talks about as another master and that is money. Because Jesus knows, God knows, that money has a way of enslaving us. It has a way of binding us up. And for Zacchaeus, he was on the road to destruction. Now that seems very harsh to say that. But that's what the Bible says about sin. It's a path that leads to destruction, not a path that leads to life. And he was caught up in that. So when Jesus stands up, and says, today salvation has come into this house. Sometimes we go, oh, wow, you mean like in order to be saved, I have to give away half my possessions? Jesus is saying, no, you need to be free from the thing that binds you. And for Zacchaeus, he was bound by his greed. And Jesus' encounter with him saved his life. It didn't just make him feel better. St. Augustine said, Acknowledge yourself feeble. Acknowledge yourself human. Acknowledge yourself a sinner. Acknowledge that it is he who justifies. Acknowledge that you're full of stains. For the confession of sin invites the physician's healing. Zacchaeus shows us that kind of response, and it's a model to us, isn't it? He's cut to the heart, and he addresses the issue in his life head on, and he repents of it. And, you know, this life-saving invitation the one that brought about a complete 180 in Zacchaeus, this same invitation, it was beautiful to hear how it changed Drew's life and changed Sally's life and and Viv's life and Eric and, and Anne and Rocco. And guys, thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably of how that invitation 
changed your life. But the power of that invitation is, that, is in Jesus's almost expectation that we would come and, and we would allow him to heal us and allow and, and be humble enough to confess we need you, Lord. You see, Jesus turns to you today and to me and says, will you invite me into your house? Will you open your heart and your life to me? Will you confess the stains in, that we all have? And will you allow me to clean and to heal them? That's, that's what he says to us today, as he said it to Zacchaeus. And for those of us who've already said yes to this invitation, um, like I said before, that invitation is the story that we now carry. And we're sent by Jesus to share it with everyone that we meet. You know, over this year, we, we really do feel like the Lord is stirring, um, I guess, a heart that we would build a culture of inviting people, a culture of invitation in this church community. And this is about generously sharing with people, with others, what God is doing in us. That's what it's about. It's about having the courage to invite people to come on a Sunday or to come to an Alpha course. It's about having you know, an understanding why God heals us, why God frees us, why he saves us, is so that we would share that with the world. Having, a, having that in our mindset that this is what this is about, is inviting and saying, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did, like that woman at the well. Now, can I say, in coming to Northridge, for many of us I know, and this might be you, it may not be, but for many it was primarily about discovering a deeper walk in the Holy Spirit. Yeah? And it's something that we value. And I know for, for many of us, we've been at churches maybe even a decade before coming here to Northridge. Or more than that. And, and we love how many times we, we hear that, you know, I came here and then I discovered a depth of the Holy Spirit that I had not experienced before. And, it, and, it, and it's wonderful. But sometimes that story almost can feel, make it feel like we, it's not relevant for people who aren't yet in church. You know, when you meet someone who's in a church, but they're kind of like, ah... Oh, my faith isn't really alive, and you might go, you know what, that was me, and you should come to our church, it's great, and, and the Holy Spirit's here, and he's working, and we spend time in prayer, and things come alive, and that might be easy, but then when you meet someone who's like church, you might go, how, do, how does my story reach out to that person? And, and I wanted to say, you know, whether it's the first time, or whether it's the hundredth time, the invitation is always to an encounter with Jesus, right? It's always, that's what we're about, whether you're talking to somebody who has no grid for church or whether you're talking to somebody who's been in church their whole life. The invitation that we're sharing is to come and meet with him. 
because it's a life-changing encounter. And those like Zacchaeus who are seeking Jesus can come and they can meet him.